What is up, Internet? You know, I've been reading lately that old Guano Man is wound tight enough to snap. Wouldn't it be great if I've finally driven him over the deep end? <laughs> My name is Matthew Kroll. Oh, and by the way, I've pressed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Batman Mask of the Phantasm. When did this come out? Last 1990 week? something. No. I don't know. Yeah, it came out last week. 1993. It's actually, I, I think you made the suggestion to do this film this week. Um, and I think it was a great suggestion because, of course, we lost the great Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And you wanted to revisit this. And unfortunately for me, this I, I didn't realize this at the time. I hadn't seen this before. I had seen it once, really? and I remember loving it, and yeah. then I couldn't remember a damn thing about it this time, <laughs> which was really, really fun. Well, and uh, also, we have uh, we have been a little bit housebound this week. Um, do you want to say why? Oh, yeah, no, it finally got me. <laughs> yeah, you finally got uh, you. The vid got it, you. It, it, the, the the vid got me, yeah. uh, so I wasn't exactly going to the uh, limited screenings of the the Flickermans, the Fablemans, the Fablemans. I keep calling it the Flickermans. The Flickermans is appropriate because it is about Steven Spielberg's up, you know, upbringing as a filmmaker. The Flickermans. I, yeah. I keep thinking it's like the Flickermans, the yeah. Fablemans, which also works fine. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Uh, so I've been kind of stuck at home, and then this this. Although I did actually request to do this, or at least have us try it at some point. Yeah, I, you, uh, you had, and it just that. turned out to be uh, the perfect time. Yeah. Or not so great time. How you feeling? Yeah, uh, I feel fine right now. I'm in day seven or whatever. Yeah, or twelve or a hundred. I don't fucking know. Like it all meshes. Yeah. Um. But no. Uh. Today's the first day I feel like a human again, which is great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's it, it was good. And this was kind of a lovely, just sort of um. How do I put this? Uh. A a, a comfort film that delivers, in uh, my opinion. It's a hot 72 minutes, let me tell you. <laughs> it is a streaking 72 minutes in the world we live in. Uh, like a tight 70. <laughs> like, I was like, it's your favorite. Yeah. I think it's your absolute favorite type of movie is a short movie that you don't have to worry terribly about. Um, no, this uh, obviously, obviously was brought on by Kevin Conroy's passing. Um, Shahir, I guess my first question is sort of like, what, did you like jump on board with Batman the Animated Series back in 92 when it premiered? I think it was like oh, September uh, or something like that. Or a like hundred percent, a thousand percent. I have such a vivid memory of coming home and I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays, Batman the Animated Series would play at four o'clock on TV2 in New Zealand, we had three channels. <laughs> One of them came way, you know, as I was growing up. So before that, we only had two. Um, and TV TV two had uh, Batman the Animated Series, which I would watch at four or four thirty. And I my, you know, one of my oddest memories was I I remember making like a grilled cheese French toast sandwich that I would okay. eat with my Batman the Animated Series. Wait. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. It was very, very gross. It is. Now, I just want to be sure that this is not like some weird Joker concoction. You, you took two pieces of French toast. I made like, French like, toast. Yeah. So you made French toast. So it's it's goopy. Yeah. I it's mean, goopy you know, yeah. toast. No, I, I make a crispy French toast. I, I put a lot of time into my French toast. It's still okay. It's still, sure. it's still an eggy bread. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and then and, you <laughs> just made that into a grilled cheese. Oh my god. Do I have diabetes? I wonder. <laughs> I mean, if I, I think I do just from hearing that story. I, but I, I like my memory is of making that concoction, sitting down and watching Batman the Animated Series. I loved it for so many reasons. Now, I, I'll have to admit, I wasn't as familiar with the voice of, you know, like the idea that Kevin Conroy was the voice of Batman until Batman, um, until Arkham Asylum, sure. um, the game. Uh, which I believe actually I, w I went and got uh, I got an opening day copy of from Toys R Us in Times Square wow. and Kevin Conroy sold it to me. Um, no fucking shit. Yeah, he was there and I remember meeting him. And uh, I actually, they gave me like a collector's edition uh, Batman figure, which I have not opened to this day. And my, my son keeps going, when are you going to open this? I was like, it's a collector's item. I'll, I'll bequeath it to you one day. And I still have it. I, I don't wow. know if he signed it. It would have made sense if he signed it. But I don't think he did. He was, he was there, though, for opening day Arkham Asylum. And that's, that so I briefly met him, you know, obviously just, you know, handing me my copy. 
Oh, of course. Well, I mean, with that game coming out, like that was sort of so Kevin Conroy. We've been just name dropping uh, yeah. without actually explaining for anyone who doesn't know who Kevin Conroy is. Is the voice of Batman. In fact, yeah. if I if if I know a lot of people make fun of the Bale voice and the different mm. ways that other people have done it. Uh, yeah. But Kevin Conroy is the voice that everyone else is trying to put a spin on and try yeah. to make it their own. He is the quintessential Batman voice from Batman the Animated Series and, of course, this film off of that series, Mask of the Phantasm. He also was in the video games, the Arkham series of games, which was Arkham, what? Arkham Asylum, Arkham, Arkham City, City, Arkham Origins, Ar Origins. and, and uh, Arkham Knight. Arkham Knight. Yeah. Um, but he's also wanna... in, every, in every animated iteration yeah. of batman he is the voice and he was even i believe like live action in yeah. one of the um in the one flash of like the flash point things yeah. on the cw which is just lovely to see yeah and also from all accounts a very just wonderful human being yeah um and he just recently passed away after a long uh, bout of illness and uh you know it's it's weird it was kind of one of those i, I believe from what i understand a bit of a suffer in silence kind of thing uh he didn't really talk about any of that it just one day uh one yeah. day he, he passed. Um, Intestinal cancer, I believe, is the fuck. cause of uh, um, cause But he, he, he is kind of like, he's just one of those figures in my life that has transitioned from, like, art that I didn't know came from an artist as a child. Like, oh, he's just the, that's bat what Batman sounds like. Right. To, like, especially when I started getting into voice work. Like, oh, well, Kevin Conroy, like, found this gig and made it his own, and he's, like, a quintessential voice actor yeah. for a generation. Like, uh, and and then just hearing, uh, you know, he did charity work, he did a bunch of other stuff. Like, so he's just sort of transcended all the levels of respect that I can have for a person. Yeah, and, um, I mean, in, in much the same way that Mark Hamill has defined the Joker as his own. Sure, sure. You know, they were two peas in a pod for a long time. Um, and yeah, you, you're absolutely right though, which is that the voice that he did, like, so you're a voice actor, you do a brilliant, uh, Mark Hamill impersonation. What, oh, thanks. Do, do, do you do a good, <laughs> I mean, have you tried the, the Kevin Conroy Batman? No. And also I have a problem with my voice acting and okay. that is if you want me to sound like a person, right. like a certain character, I need to constantly like hear it for like maybe five minutes. Joker, I can kind of pull up. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel like that Batman that or Bruce Wayne as he does it. Yeah. Um, I need to like listen to it actively. I'm not even going to try at this point to like pull it off. Well, and um, as you say, it's essential. Um, it's essential to the role because uh, so much of Batman as a character. Now we've talked about Batman. Uh, and actually, have we done? We've done the Justice Knight. We've done uh, Justice Knight. Justice Knight. Ju Justice Ooh. Knight. Justice Ooh, League. Uh, I like We've that done movie Batman title. v Batman v Superman. Uh, have we done any? So we've done Affleck's Batman. We have did we done, Snyder Cut. We have we done any other Batmans on this show? Uh, um, we have not. We did the Christopher Nolans were long gone before we started the podcast. We never did the the sixties one. Yeah, we uh, we, we we've done did. Lego Batman. Will Arnett. We did we, Lego Batman. Will Arnett also does a uh, a great Batman voice yeah. as well. Um, but all great films start in black. <laughs> what is it, Lobster Thermidor? <laughs> yeah, Lobster Thermidor. Well, yeah. so even I mean that's a great point. So yeah. Will Arnett's Batman mm -hmm. is a elevated version of Kevin Conroy's Batman, right. like. Like, it's all, you can, just listening to all the different people who have done it, everyone is doing a Conroy with their well, own be, spin. Well, because, as we've kind of identified, for the, for the character of Batman, the voice is part of the performance. And yeah. Batman is giving a performance at all times when he is out on the street, you know, uh, <laughs> enacting his own unique brand of vigilantism. Mm -hmm. um, the voice is part of that performance because Batman's act or shtick is about intimidation. Mm -hmm. And and the voice is part of that intimidation. Uh, and, and actually, we did Patterson's Batman as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I do. And actually, to be honest with you, Patterson's voice was quite soft, if I recall, right? Well, so even Conroy's, this is the interesting. So, yes, Conroy's is also kind of soft. He doesn't, like, yell a bunch. Mm. He's just forceful and, like, fucking there. Yeah, and it's a really like, controlled performance, which is what you need for that character. Yeah. And so, as you say, um, it's quintessential because 
it's also innate to the voice. And it's in many ways, Batman also operates, you know, the Joker operates in the exact same way, which is the voice is such an in- integral part of that performance because the voice right. tells you the level of madness. And so we obviously Heath Ledger owned this, Cesar Romero before him, Jared Leto uh, in the Suicide Squad had his own take on it, which got really, really ripped to shreds. Yeah, um, Nicholson. Nicholson, of, yeah, you know. Joaquin. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and then uh, uh, Barry um, Barry Keegan uh, did him in the in the in the Pattinson Batman as well, and it is. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, very partially, but he was there, right? Yeah. Um, and it is really um, uh, part and parcel part of the performance. It's a really quintessential part of the performance. It's 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 almost as essential as the as the um, the cape and cowl. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's it, funny. Yeah. Even even like if we're doing Jokers, like Heath Ledger, right? Like yeah. he took it a very different direction, and I yeah. think rightfully kind of so. And even and, Leto, and defined even, it and defined yeah, it. Even Leto, which I do not like, right, was based on, if I'm not mistaken, sort of Zack Snyder's view of where the Joker would be at at that point. Like, yeah, the, he was the, a, the, he was pop culture influenced or, or something well, like that. Well, kind of, but also the reason why he had all the grills and things was because Batman had canonically knocked all his teeth out. Right. <laughs> like, like that, like there were things like that and reasons then Jared Leto took that and just ran a fucking 10K with it. Yeah. Like, um, and again, I don't like it, but it, it, it is what it is. Suicide Squad has a lot of problems, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's funny. I brought, we, we've it, we've talked about it. This is the second time in two weeks that the, the, the uh, sorry Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad, right. has come up because that was the first video I watched of our last week uh, guest co-host Princess Weeks. Oh YouTube yes, channel. we've got to talk about Black Panther because I've actually seen Wakanda Forever as well. By the way, we should well, what, should we should we table that for the end? I sure we yeah. can get Shahir's quick thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Sure, but okay. that's not what we're talking about right now. No, we are here to talk about uh, The Mask of the Phantasm, which, again, was a first-time watch for me, a repeat viewing for you. But, and uh, you, you asked me I didn't quite uh, reciprocate. Uh, uh, Batman the Animated Show for you. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, again, quintessential. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, after, I think it was a similar time, maybe, I think, like, 2 or 3 o'clock, uh, uh, would come on in, in a block or two. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's one of those series that I've been meaning to, and now it seems like a, a good time, to sort of go back and watch canonically. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure I've seen every episode multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, but I don't know because of the way that, like... D- Here's a question. Does it feel like back in the day with TV shows, they just didn't, like... Cartoons specifically, like, might have had an order, but, like, they didn't actually give a shit when they were airing them? Like, uh, like... Know, but it, it's also... It's not an anthology series, but it's a, it's an episode of the week series. Like, there's Oh, no sure, you run- can do it. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not, but, like, I'm, I'm interested in sort of, like, the evolution of it, because I feel like I kept seeing just, like, the re- like remixes of orders. Right. Um... But uh, no, it was it was huge in my in uh, for me. Uh, I I've told this story before, I think, on the podcast. But Batman as a character, and I think a big part of this thing. I mean, I dressed up as Batman uh, in like middle school, right? Like, and ran around and had like a bat cave closet, <laughs> one of the teachers' uh, yeah. things, and I was a very popular kid. I can tell. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to the point, <laughs> did I tell the story about the dance? Yes, uh, high we, dance? we tripped up somebody. Yeah, oh, uh, oh memories, <laughs> memories, memories. Dressed up as great, Batman while they played. Core memory, core memory. Uh, it, it really is because, like, in what world did I not get like made fun of and beaten up for that? Like, I, I like, I and I, I didn't, yeah. and so I don't understand it. So I'm just gonna ride that until I die. Um, so animated series, huge on that. Also, just especially when I started like. Again, I, I love the transitional moments in my young adult life when I started realizing that, like, people make things. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, and then you're like, well, why does this series and mm. even this movie feel different? Right. And one of the main reasons is it was a series that was illustrated or crafted on uh, black or dark paper yeah. as opposed to white paper. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that that has an effect. And, uh, and then this style of animation, I feel like, has kind of... Uh, and I, I, this is where my history of animation might fail me, but I feel like the style of Batman the Animated Series has basically just become 
and, and there's been iterations of, but like the entirety of the animated DC universe to today. Like yeah. the character design all feels like it could be at home and it all originated in Batman the Animated Series. And then, yeah, well, it, it has a clear influence on Max Fle- from Max Fleischer's Superman series, uh, but then has this like beautiful art deco style as well, mm-hmm. which is like really sharp and pointed. And it's just a, it's a perfect marriage of style and character, which is that um, Batman, you know, I think the thing that, Nolan was successful at but also opened the conversation for and I think everyone kind of has this issue with adaptations of Batman and let's not beat around the bush here Batman is a hugely profitable um, piece of IP for Warner Brothers to the point where they milk it and if you go on HBO Max right now there's an entire section of HBO Max devoted to Batman sure. and I was just like oh that must mean just the Nolan movies and I was like no there's the Nolan movies there's the Burton movies there's the Batman Dawn of Justice you know like Dawn of Justice the Batman v Superman then there's all the animated movies mm-hmm. and there's so many of them and you realize wow this is a huge deal and I was swept into that um into that world through the Tim Burton Batmans. That was the 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 nineteen eighty nine Tim Burton Batman. I had the cap. I eagerly anticipated the film. Uh, I was all about it. And and so the show, the animated series, comes hot on the heels of the movie and this kind of reinvention of what Batman is. And as I was saying, the kind of the the, the key issue that that maybe Nolan has dealt with most successfully um, is the tone of of making this person a real character and and how do you do that nolan took it certainly in a direction that was very um grounded in reality Uh, i think matt reeves's batman uh anchors it closer to what the animated series is and and again closer to what maybe uh tim burton was aiming for which is that it was gothic um stylization and in many ways i think i've said this before on the podcast for me the Arkham series was was the perfect blend. And the Arkham yep. series itself was influenced by the animated show. And I think it's just been a really tricky, tricky thing to kind of get hold of is like, what is the best way to portray an ordinary human being happens to be a billionaire who dresses like a bat to scare criminals. That's a very 1940s idea, which is, <laughs> and, and what's great about the animated series, which came out in 1990, is it really goes, well, Let's make it feel like it's the 1940s, even though in the show there's like advanced technology and, yeah. you know, like uh, it, it has that sort of like. Um, uh, there's somewhat, a car phone in this film. Yeah. Modern futurism that that, again, the Fleischer cartoons had as well. The robotic- It is a car phone with a rotary dial on the bottom <laughs> of the of the. Hey man, it was 1993. We were we were just guessing at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. and I was like. Oh, I went first. I was like, "Oh, car phone." Yeah. Oh, rotary on the phone. <laughs> okay. And then also uh, the other thing that was cool was that all these, uh, all the animators, so Bruce Tim and Eric uh, Radomski, who uh, directed this, had come off uh, the sort of reinvention of Warner Brothers Animation uh, with yep. Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. Um, so there was, you know, Spielberg was heavily involved in in bringing the Warner Brothers animation lot back to life. And then this Batman was part of that. And I mean, we should talk about the movie in a second, but it's amazing to me how adult this film is and yeah. how adult the show was. Mm-hmm. Um, to that end, I actually started watching this with my son mm-hmm. and we, we started watching it and I was like, oh, because he's he just had a birthday. He's gotten a little bit older. I was like, let's watch something a little bit more grown up. And we started watching it, and I was like, we were about 10 to 15 minutes in. And this is a funny funny thing, which was that there's gun violence, which we, we've sort of kept him sure. away from and we talk about, um, which was at the beginning, but we we're like, we're going to get through that. The, the thing that actually made us turn it off was the kind of antiquated sexism around female characters. Yep. That was yep. the thing. That was actually where we, where we were like, that, that's the thing that made us really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, was like the bevy of women that uh, linger around Bruce Wayne and kind of talk in this way about, you know, vying for his, you know, like, you know, yep. to get to get married. And that was a point where we were just like, you know what? It, it's actually this part that we're kind of feeling a little bit, um, 
you know, we don't want to quite have him watching this just yet. The same day, I'm going to go on a slight tangent. Yeah. I totally get that. Because when I watched it, I was like, oh, weird. Yeah. The same day, I've been watching Frasier as mm-hmm. I've been going to sleep because it's the perfect thing to put you asleep in fi- 10 to 15 minute chunks. Yeah. And there's one where he's dating this high powered lawyer. Right. And he goes to a lawyer event. Mm hmm. And he's left alone. It might have been around the same. When did Frasier air? I don't even know. But I mean, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, and so the lawyer goes to talk to her boss, and he's left alone in the party. Mm-hmm. And then he's swarmed by all these women mm-hmm. who he at first thinks is be- he's flattering because he's like, oh, I'm a man in this sort of thing, and there's all these women. But it's all of the lawyer wives. Right. And they're all very like that quintessential like kind of sexist trope back then and him yeah. and the joke is oh he's one of the girls and yeah. like that's supposed to be a negative. So like it was weird. The same day I saw this and was like, huh, clocked that. I saw another yeah. thing around a similarish time I mean, it, like, it, huh, clocked it's that. It's always and around Batman it... as well. You know, like the, yeah. the 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 three tiers of Batman, I guess, is the 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 performances first the well, there's there's Bruce Wayne himself. Then there is the the Bruce Wayne, the billionaire playboy. The playboy. The playboy yep. version. And then there is Batman after that. Um, mm-hmm. So there's kind of these three layers. And what, you know, like, they're all antiquated and require, if you're going to do them, which the Nolan films do as well, um, you need to under, have a degree of stylization to make it make sense because they are all very writerly inventions that don't well, really make well, a lot of sense. I mean, look, you can make writing contrivances as to why it makes sense. No one would, it, it, it furthers the thing. If Bruce Wayne is just a bumbling idiot who just sleeps with a lot of women, who has a lot right. of money, there's no way he's Batman. The <laughs> other the other thing is, in the Nolan films, they really only touch on it in the first one when he buys the restaurant, the restaurant. that they're in. No, also whatever. in the second one with the ballerina. Uh, remember, second he takes the entire... The- in the Dark Knight, he takes the oh. entire Russian ballerina troupe uh, on a on a yacht. He buys them out or something like that. And, and then, but he but then he leaves. He doesn't. Stay. He leaves, and Michael Caine's like, "You can tell the girls they can put on their own bloody sunbathing oil or something oh, like that." Yeah. Or, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, again, I found that those moments less like I, I I don't know if I'll call them excusable, but I'll say like this in Mask of the Phantasm again. I think because it was ninety three, I was just like. Yeah, but you can you can tell like I mean, and obviously this film has, uh, without giving away too many spoilers, a kind of progressive element to it, uh, which was surprising at the time and even today. But it's still couched in this sort of um, this idea of masculinity that has to do with like adoring women, you know, like. Uh, hanging off of him and and uh, I don't know if the thing you're talking about gets there. But we'll get to it in spoilers. I, uh, no, no. I, well, I'm saying that there is a progressive element to this, right. but it's still got this kind of idea. You're talking about the it. other, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, tell us what it's about. Well, uh, the Internet Movie Database mm-hmm. says that Batman: Mask of the Phantasm is, and I quote. Batman is wrongly implicated in a series of murders of mob bosses, actually done by a new vigilante assassin. Fun fact: They never reference the Phantasm as the Phantasm in the film. <laughs> no, uh, they are not called the Phantasm. And yeah, yeah, that's they that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just no one ever call it. Like it's not like he comes out because what's the what's the line the Phantasm gives? It's like uh, your angel, angel of, death, of death, death is, is calling a, or something. Calling, I don't. Yeah. And, and the yeah. voice. And look, if you want to talk about voices, that was an unconvincing voice for me. Like, like because it was obviously. Uh, 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 um, well, it's it's, it's, Stacey it's a roboticized Ketch. voice or something like that, right? But it's Stacy Ketch who's like all over the damn place. Uh, if you oh. look at his picture on IMDb, right? Uh, or is it Keech? Yeah. Uh, was uh, he the? Was he the? Um, no, he's not the. Uh, I, I forget the vo- the person who was uh, uh, who was killed by uh, Hans Gruber in Die Hard. I think it was the man. No, I don't think so. I will tell you though. You know yeah. what he was in that what? he fucking killed it in. Escape from L.A. Oh, was he really? He go. was the he was Commander Malloy. He's the, the, the you know the guy and the girl like command the police commanders. Oh yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. one that's like watering plants and shit. That's yeah. the same guy who who voiced uh, the Phantasm. I, uh, I mean, how did you feel about the voice of of the Phantasm? I I mean, I don't know. Now there's a reason why it's awkward in the performance, but but I did f- find it like 
in those initial moments, we should be feeling like there is a, you know, like a, oh, oh, who is this? And the characters were scared of him, but I was kind of, hmm, what is this kind of thing? I'll tell you, I didn't have a problem with the voice. You know what I do have a problem with? (laughs) The mechanics of of how you can avoid bullets? Oh, no, 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 because what I, no, see, I I wish they showed it in a way. Yeah. like how it would work but like i actually really liked it because all that happened was whatever smoke gadget or whatever was like causing the thing would well up and you wouldn't see the phantasm while the phantasm was being shot and then it would well back and the things there now in actuality the phantasm who was not a supernatural <laughs> being could have like ducked and dodged while the smoke was there and that's yeah. fine like yeah. cool but no no the thing i i just like the, the idea that she was like they were ducking and dodging in the smoke so like they're covered in smoke but inside they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. yeah <laughs> why not it's a bad it's funny. He's, swinging, he's swinging from buildings <laughs> yeah. so so the thing i hate about the phantasm is the fucking claw the claw yeah i didn't it's just dumb looking <laughs> yeah and not effective. Right. <laughs> like, like I look, I know you need to give it some sort of like iconic thing or else it doesn't whatever, but like there's no there's no narrative reason for like he even like if, if the whole thing is like they're the angel of death. Right. Give him a scythe? Like <laughs> like like it, Well a scythe I, is not an easy you know, like it's like the, the claw is a little bit easier to swing around. No, but like or give him claws then. <laughs> like like not well, it's like just this weird with hook the with the ball in it. Nah, nah. You know, there I maybe to that end. You know, like Batman eventually teams up with Scooby Doo in in a one particular series, and I sure. did feel the Phantasm was like a Scooby Doo villain. Oh yeah, yeah you know, like a hundred percent. Like there's a Scooby Doo element to this villain. Yeah. Well, so something something that I like about this film, <laughs> in its incredibly long runtime of seventy two minutes, oh, is so it actually does a lot of fucking legwork. Shahir, did you know that this was the first time on the big screen that Batman's origin story was told? Right, because in in Tim Burton's version, oh no, in Tim Burton's version, we do see no, no, no. So that's that's incorrect. I meant it... Batman's origin story, yeah, like the in... Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne becoming Batman. Right, no, not we had... not like oh the pearls and the kid getting yeah, shot. We, we, I was like, it's, we've seen the pearls so many. I'm times. talking about the Batman Year One kind of like I'm learning how to be Batman now. It is a it is a, a, a I, actually I listened to the Uber Busters uh, today who obviously Oh, did a whole I need to do that. Uh, on Batman and they they did this and I, and I uh, am re- uh, pulling their quote here which is that it is a sly year 1. But what's great about it is that obviously Frank Miller de- defined what year 1 is and also what year 60 was uh, as it turned out with the Dark Knight Returns. Um but this is a year 1 which reinvents the mythology of how Batman became mm-hmm. Batman or why I think what it really does smartly is it introduces a why Batman became Batman that doesn't necessarily just have to do with his parents. Yeah. And I think that, and I think that's actually really um, w- what I like about this film compared to almost every other Batman film. I think this is unique in that in the way in which it reinvents ideas entirely whole cloth it's a remix yeah and and it's not it's actually enriching you know like i think we live in a culture now where well i suppose the joker you know the joker film does that as well with the arthur flick um but i think we do live in a culture where we're like bound by canon or bound by canonization oh a thousand percent yeah and i like that this is like completely fine to create new characters also completely fine to riff on alternate origins i guess matt reeves's batman somewhat does that as well uh to a little degree not as uh, much as but this. not as much it, as this and i think shuffles the deck yeah and this one does it in a way which which changes your thinking about batman because it doesn't just become this sort of brooding quest for vengeance it's also really about loss of identity and loss of loss of potential you know, like he, he, I mean, to spoil it, you know, yeah. he, he, uh, he meets and falls in love with Andrea Beaumont, um, whom he has uh, a very fast uh, relationship with, uh, who he plans to marry. And this actually- Voiced by Dana him, Delaney. Yeah. And this sends him into turmoil because he has made this vow to be, to fight injustice. Yet he, you know, in that beautiful uh, scene at the cemetery, he says, but I didn't expect to be happy. And he realizes that Batman is about the absence of joy. And and that makes that first moment when he dons the cape and cowl in front of um, 
in front of Alfred kind of more horrific than yeah. than I think celebratory, right? He's you know? thrown his entire life away yeah. for an ideal he promised his dead parents. Yeah. And the only thing that can stop the Batman is happiness. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, Batman's oh in- no. <laughs> This, this really did make me also ask a lot of questions about Batman, which I, I hadn't really thought about before, but I was like, what is he like in bed? I really wonder about that. Like, I was just like, what is he like efficient or is he like really I generous? Think, is he a generous think, lover? So, I, well, not if you, not if the DC Comics universe will say anything about oh, it. Oh, really? They, they famously would not let him go down on Catwoman because they said oh, it, canonically. That was a recent thing, right? Yeah. Can, yeah within a couple of years. Canonically, yeah. Batman uh, doesn't do doesn't do that. Oh, my God. It's like, oh, I'm pretty dick. sure he does, which is, which is so funny because in the um, – fantabulous Harley Quinn series, which is right. now in its third season on, on HBO Max. Yeah. Uh, Batman is the hugest simp to Catwoman, and they oh. basically all but show that. Like, oh, and, like yeah. it's so, it's like, it's played for comedy, but it also is part of the plot. Yeah. And it's actually, weirdly enough, that, that show does a lot of heavy lifting too. Right. Uh, again, Harley think... Quinn, a, 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 uh, a product of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Like, um, that's that I, I think wasn't in the Kevin before. Conroy's Batman goes down on uh, on uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure he does. Um, yeah, no, so I think you know, it just th- there was just this side to Bruce Wayne in this film, which was that you know, like, could he be happy? I guess, I guess maybe the Christopher Nolan film gets gets there in the end of the film when he's uh, I mean, off in does Italy. It? it doesn't, I mean, it, it you know, gives you one uh, one tip to tip of the glass to it. Um, but I think that reinvention really works there. I, I, you know, I was mixed on the phantasm itself, but I got to be honest with you. I had not seen this before. I didn't know anything about the, fa- um, the phantasm. So I was actually genuinely going the whole time. Oh, that's her father. That's her father has come back to, to uh-huh. and then it like, when it wasn't, I was like, Oh, that's great. Yeah. It turns yeah. out to be, it turns out to be her. Yeah. It turns out uh, to be her. Which is dope and yeah. turns the trope on its head, yeah. which you could in a way, like, it's funny because the way that they treat women in the beginning of this movie yeah. is different than the way they treat them at the end. Yeah. Well, uh, the way they it, treat it, her. Right. It's yeah. not an excuse, yeah. but it is a – I don't think this was intentional. Like, they didn't purposely put that blatantly sexist shit in the beginning yeah. to then make this pay off. They were like, oh, we're just going to treat women like we normally do in these stories in this time period. Right. And then the twist is going to be a real psycho moment. Like where, you know, like where it's not, it, it really also goes expect. to show that that thing here, which is that like, I, as much as we spend a lot of time casting and thinking about like who we, how we reinvent Batman, we should be having female told stories about Batman, right? Like we should be, you know, like when Mary, I mean, Harley Drake, Quinn is kind of doing it. Yeah. But I, I, I think we should give Batman, uh, a female-led perspective. Like, we should look at that character through a female lens. Well, I, and, I, what I'm saying is Harley Quinn does that. No, no, but that is a female character. I, I meant, like, I guess no, what no, I'm saying is, like... The show Harley Quinn. Yeah, you, have no, you seen I, it? I, I, I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is that we we will hire a female director to direct the Harley Quinn film because that seems canon, you know, appropriate. But I also think it'd be entirely oh, appropriate... to see a female director do a Batman movie. Yeah, exactly. I want sure. I, I want to see... Like I want to see a female director thinking about like the how do we view his masculine or his ideas about masculinity in a different way, you know? Sure. Like I, I I think it's like, well, it, so yeah, and this plays back into why Kevin Conroy's Batman is best Batman, right? <laughs> and that is like, look, at the end of the day, this is literally a billionaire punching mentally ill people for doing crime. Yeah. Uh, but if we're going to go on the kick that this is a noble cause, <laughs> um, Kevin Conroy's Batman throughout this film, but also the animated series in general, is very like. I, I'll say this and then maybe backtrack a little bit. It's the least toxic Batman can possibly be. Hmm. Like, with the exception, maybe, of the Adam West Batman. Um, <laughs> but, like, like because Batman isn't, like, going out and doing those things because he's, like, a big fucking alpha male full of rage, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. He's a dude that cannot be happy and <laughs> is damaged in his own right, which doesn't... 
Like, Batman, this is weird. Superman comes off as masculine. Right. I don't know if I've, like, in a classical sense, ever truly considered Batman masculine. Hmm. Like, because I'm thinking, I've never, to be perfectly honest, I've never stopped to think about it, but doing so right now, I'm like, when have I seen, like, The Dark Knight Returns, even so, like, that's just, maybe that's it. It's like the sort of toxic side of masculinity, like, playing out. So much so, yeah. But, like, I'm trying to think of, like, in the films, I know he's a guy punching people, Mm. but, like, I don't code that like I do a Wolverine or I do uh, weird. I'm trying to think of like other like a, a Tony Stark, right? Or like, because Batman to me is <laughs> this is going to sound weird. Mm-hmm. I think Batman to me again, educated by the animated series as a baseline for this, is like this is this is the wrong wording. Like I want to say is like too damaged for me to be coded like when in my viewing of him as like oh there's a there's something that's masculine like right. when because when i look at batman i'm like there is there is trauma right that is what trauma is and trauma can transcend masculine feminine anything sort of on that spectrum like so i, I it's so strange i've never thought about that right huh hmm. i i think batman as presented in these films demonstrates both the fragility, insecurity, and outward displays of masculinity. If you look at the way in which essentially Bruce Wayne has decided to layer both the Playboy performance up against the the masked vigilante performance, in both in both cases, how they really reveal, especially in this film more than in others, um, the idea that he's just looking for love and he's just looking to be loved. Well, he's um, actively avoiding love until it finds him in a fucking cemetery uh, in a hopeless place, some might say. <laughs> but, uh, but, but what he needs, like, what Batman needs is a hug. And no, it's like, what you know, Bruce Wayne needs is a hug. Yeah, what yeah. Batman needs is to never be hugged. Because well, if we're thinking about, because if we're thinking about what makes Batman stay Batman, <laughs> it's sadness. <laughs> like, Batman, Batman is just sad man. <laughs> can't be happy. Otherwise, he's no longer Batman. Right. And I mean, again, Vampires, how do you kill a vampire? You do it however you want because it's a literary contrivance. It's, it's not real, right? Yeah. Batman's not real. Like, and, and I think Lego Batman does a really great thing too. It, it, Lego Batman, I've, I've, I've actively said, is yeah, the I only th- Batman film where he actually changes. And it's because he, they, they take it, he becomes happy, and then can continue being Batman for some reason in that world. But that's just because he, nice he finds his friends. He finds his family. He but creates here, a family. But here in this movie, when he <laughs> finds his person or his family or his is truly happy he actually actively admits the tragedy that he can't do it well also that he it's funny because i think um the film kind of plays and again this is so good for what was ostensibly an extended episode oh yeah Uh, you know like is that they tap into this idea that he even says at the cemetery which is that i could just give the police more money you know, like he really. Oh yeah, he he comes up with the solution <laughs> yes. to Batman in this movie. I mean, well, again, it's also just the it, way in which he views the problem, which it, is that it's policing. It's not. Well, it's not poverty. It's not like. It's sure. not like and, the, and, and I'm yeah. going to I'm going to brush that up to the time it was made in the 72 minute runtime. He wasn't going to go into a diatribe about like all of the different things, but well, like it's, it's his also, shorthand for not punching uh, mentally ill people for to stop crime. Well, well, also the the film's framework of crime isn't. Um, isn't about desperation. It's about opportunity. It's mobsters, you know. Like it, it's very like Italian stereotype mobsters. And it's yeah. like you, you. It's funny because I actually rewatched The Dark Knight again recently, and um, you know, the opening ten minutes of that film has this kind of like real nineteen forties scar faced, you know, gangster picture kind of tinged approach to what criminality is there it's like hey boys what do you think you know like what are you going to do with your half of the cash you know it's very um it's very tinged in that sort of approach to criminality which is that mm. criminals are uh in a way icons as opposed to real people it's not people like robbing the bank because they have you know they can't pay the rent or anything it's not people like holding up a liquor store it's like it's very um yeah that 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 sort of uh Mickey Spillane kind of uh, right. Batman, you know, idea of criminality. So in this case as well, 
the 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 framework of like just more police makes sense because these aren't real criminals that he's having to deal with. He's not having to deal with real poverty. He's not having to deal with people. You know, it's like it's the kind of organized crime idea. But I think this is the only time I've ever seen Batman outside of a comic book <laughs> reference like he could use his money in better ways than buying a, a bat jet. Right. Like, which is so fucking funny. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I think in The Dark Knight Rises, it's revealed that he uses his money to fund orphanages, I think. Wow. <laughs> Giving a little bit back. Look at him go. I mean, he's a uh, billionaire. It's not, it's not much of a hit to the pocket. Well, I, I, no, but neither is buying an entire social media network, apparently, uh, if you can leverage it against your other stocks. Anyway. Is that what he did uh, in? Oh, well, we're talking about uh, we're talking about real villains. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'll bring it back to the cartoon <laughs> man with the bat ears. Yeah. Um, you besmirched the name of Batman by that uh, comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um no, this and 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 the cool thing I think. Uh, oh, oh, we didn't even get into this thing, and I always forget this too. I remember. So obviously, Batman's Rogues Gallery is one of my absolute favorite things. All of the villains are super cool, uh, or their jokiness, and yeah. like you get like a calendar man or some shit. Yeah. But the um, the when I, when this first came out and it was advertised, I remember not seeing the Joker in it. Right. Like I remember not seeing it in like the, the the images or anything like that. And this is before the internet when you could dig. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, who's this phantasm? Like, this doesn't have like Mister Freeze or Poison Ivy or the Joker in it. And I'm like, I oh, don't, you know, whatever. Right. And then the twist of this movie when the Joker actually shows up and doesn't just show up as like, a, oh, he's here now too. Like, is kind of actively in the the formulation. Uh, so to speak. Of... Well, isn't isn't he respond like it's implied that he is the person responsible for the uh, for um, Andre Beaumont's yeah. father's death? Yes. Right. No, yeah. no, a thousand percent. Because yeah. back when he was a mobster, he did that. Yeah. And and it's so lovely to see the Joker's villainy and viciousness be tied to another character's tragedy who is like pushed to murder people. Right. Um. I also love in this movie too that every like every cop but uh, Gordon is like, yeah, Batman's just killing people now, and Gordon's like, <laughs> Gordon's no, he's like, not. He's just not letting go to this. He's like, he doesn't yeah. do that. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> Batman does not go down on Catwoman. <laughs> he just doesn't do it. <laughs> um, so like, I don't know. The, 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 again, this movie for seventy two minutes does so much like heavy lifting and connective tissue and interesting things with Batman. Yeah. We've seen so little of those. Like, well, I think every film is wrestling with it, but I don't think many storytellers are as intimately well-versed and confident with playing with the mythology as this film is. Yeah. Right? Like, I think, I think every, every filmmaker has wrestled with how do we bring this character to life? But um, the writing in this feels, and I guess, you know, it comes from having done an entire season of the TV show where they're confident enough to play with the actual mythology in, in interesting ways. And like, they know about Batman year one and still, and don't do it. You know, they yeah. don't do what year one does in this, even though this has elements of year one in it. Um, yeah. And I think, I think there's this uh, kind of a level of confidence. There. And then, you know, I, I was, I, when I rewatched the dark Knight as well, I was surprised by, the bloodlessness of it all, you know, like even the Joker's magic trick, you know, like it's, it's, it's an entirely bloodless film. Yeah. Um, despite being seeped in this idea of dangerous consequence, mm -hmm. it's, you know, you don't, you're sort of like always kept at arm's length from it because of the way in which violence is dealt with in, um, in movies like that. Yeah. But this is a film where like Bat Batman's really like beaten, you know, like he gets the shit kicked out of him. And, and, you know, like, is dragged around and is hurt. Um, and it really, it feels visceral and consequential. And it, like, it sort of jars you into this world, which is, like, so steeped in stylization, but also kind of always suggesting, not, um, not overtly, but there is, like, real violence at the fringe of the story. Mm -hmm. And I think it really, really, it actually really works. And, again, it's surprising because it's a kid's film. Or because it's, it's well, it's because it's perceived as a kid's film. Yes. Uh, well, that's the, that's the great thing about the animated series in general and yeah. the reason why it has maintained its place in sort of animation history and a lot of gateway drugs into superhero stuff for people that like, uh, that, that continue to watch that sort of thing into their adulthood is it, it doesn't 
I call I call it honest storytelling. Right. It 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 does it never feels um it never feels uh salacious. Right. It never feels like it's doing something adult to be like, look at this fucking shit we're doing and we're <laughs> drawing it. Like it's like it's telling a story. This film and the animated series itself, but this film in particular has some fairly like deep thoughts and in its dialogue. Yeah. Like it's it's written in a way that is entirely respecting the viewer. Right. It's not dumbing it down. I think what this and the animated series do is it trusts that kids will be interested enough in it based on how cool it looks or or what they can glean from certain things and then just writes an adult story with it that also, on the flip side of that, in a lot of cases, is not um, salacious or in like hyper-violent or stylized violence. Uh, that that then it sort of can ride that knife's edge. Uh, you know, Guillermo del Toro was interviewed this week about his adaptation of Pinocchio that's coming out, and he was asked, I think, about uh, where he pitches this towards children or adults and how this can be. And he said uh, he felt he was really interested in the period of the 80s, you know, particularly Spielberg, who obviously uh, has some hand in this because of the, the Warner Brothers animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's particularly interested in the Amblin entertainment era, you know, like the Goonies, E.T. and that sort of thing. Sure. Where these are movies that focus around children's issues or around the lives of children, but are designed to be watched with parents, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and designed to have complex feelings within them. And and I think that's true of the show as well, which is that, you know, and Del Toro said something interesting there. He says, which is that kids are totally fine with the violence, with the actual the, the, the difficult parts. They sometimes will need parents alongside them to help contextualize it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's usually the parents who want to shy away um, from anything that's difficult for children. I'm certainly that way with my kid. Um well, I, and it's funny, and it's not. I, 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 again, I don't have a kid, so I don't know. But like the, I don't think it always comes from like wanting to shelter them from realities of the world. I think. To, I mean, you can answer this better. It kind of, and maybe that that is the case sometimes. Like, yeah. sure, uh, gun violence, etc. But also, if you're sitting down for seventy two minutes and you only have that time to watch it with your kid, yeah, sure, you, you want to like talk with them about anything that's difficult but if the entire thing is difficult you're going to get into a long conversation with your son about well so in the 90s <laughs> women were treated like this because yeah. of x y and z and then you're gonna have to go into like all of the shit like yeah. and so you can't or you don't want to i should say do that all the time so oftentimes it's like no you're too young like right is yeah. that uh yeah that's part of it there's there's also this uh, other sense that like sometimes it's not um you're just very aware that the capacity for a child to understand certain complexities is limited. And the for me, the danger sometimes is is that they uh, – it's monkey see, monkey do kind of. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And, and so you sort of – you're just wanting to like – I mean for me personally and every parent has a different philosophy. Uh, and, different, and also every kid is different as well. Is that you want to introduce things at the right time for your child. You know, right. some kids – uh, some of my son's friends who are the same age watch really violent movies and they're really good about like understanding the difference between violent, you know, like what is a movie and what is real life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, my kid is, is pretty good at that, but sometimes I kind of like, I wonder, you know, like whether he really does, you know, like, and I think he's good at it in that he doesn't, um, he doesn't actually want to inflict violence, but he like, he runs around pretending he's got a gun if he's seen something with it, you know, and that sure. makes you know, and I and I kind of don't think that is appropriate behavior at this age, or you right. know, that sort of thing. Um, again, every parent is different, every kid is different. Um, to that end, bringing it back to Batman, I think what makes the show so good is that it also taps into why kids are interested in Batman, which is that the logic of Batman is kid logic. You know, like yep. I'm my parents have died, therefore I'm going to dress up as a bat to you know combat crime that's kid logic all the way through yep um but but then the show you know again with its stylization taps into the sort of bigger idea of like well that's that's actually as well as being kid logic it's also primal and that primacy means that we can do certain things in a storytelling way that makes sense you know the again another movie i just watched again recently was the goonies mm. and the goonies taps into this primacy of uh the fear of the future and how much like we need to 
look look into the past to kind of make sense of the uh, of, right. of a feared future yeah, and yeah. like it's not afraid of death you know like it's a really strange film that is not afraid of morbidity and death and like you know one-eyed willy the, the what about the, the angel of death yeah what about the angel of death yeah so i think i think there's like there's there's just a a scope here that this show kind of just taps into really perfectly that you know like in many ways if you don't get it right you you reveal the childishness of it all and like if, you know like as much as i liked matt reeves's batman there's a point where you're just going well this is silly you know like this is ridiculous you know sure i mean and, yeah. and what i'm saying is the show balances that line better right and that could be to due to tone that could yeah. be due to script that could be due to animation versus yeah. live action that could be due to a lot of different things um, but it does feel like a complete world and an adult world. And yeah. we even say an adult world. <clears throat> it feels like a real world, not the real world, yeah. a real world. I was, I, I, and Whereas, I'm not sure if I'm using the phrase correctly, but I always think it's hermetically sealed. Yeah. Like yeah, it's no, like within good. its, within its context, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I, I will agree that the Batman, uh, <laughs> Matt Reeves is not hermetically sealed. Mm. And I'll tell you the moment. That it breaks for me is when Batman's entire spinal system should have shattered when he flies down and crashes into steel eye beams three times right. and ragdolls on the ground. Um, I don't care what armor you're wearing. He's flying at that thing at like 90 miles an hour. <laughs> Regardless. But like, that's the thing. That movie goes from we're in a real world adult situation to Looney Tunes logic. And you're like, whoa, where this movie and the animated series doesn't do that. And Lego Batman, I think also is really... Uh, Lego good. Batman and, lives and also in the its Arkham, slapstick world. The Arkham, the Arkham uh, Asylum The Arkham games. series. Yep. Yeah, it's a really... The Arkham Asylum games. And it, it, it really has to do with like figuring out what is the stylistic tone and really committing to it. You know, like mm -hmm. just committing to it a hundred percent, and then figuring out like how you push that tone, how you push the seal like around the edges of your story yeah. while still maintaining it, and it's it's a very difficult thing to do. Again, Nolan pushes it in a different way. Nolan pushes it in a in a like how can we absolutely ground this in our reality? And the moments where it like fails are when we see the. It's sort called of, the Dark Knight Rises. That's when it fails. <laughs> yeah, there's moments where it just it it. it you there's moments where you sort of sit back and go, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's a guy dressed in a bat suit, and that gives you power over film. <laughs> no, like it, 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 it. No, Dark Knight Rises again. I, I have to never watch that movie again because I don't like it now, and every time I watch it, I like it less. Oddly, my my experience is this: uh, Batman Begins stays kind of the same way, which is that I I, I think I've said this before. I think it's unwatchable. Uh, I but... think it's the best one. <laughs> and then uh, Dark Knight. Uh, the Dark Knight kind of gets a little bit worse every time I watch it, and The Dark Knight Rises gets slightly bitter every time I watch it. Fuck, <laughs> really? Yeah, in, in, the, in so much as that The Dark Knight Rises is ridiculous, but there's a kind of operatic quality to it that kind of, if you just watch it in its totality, kind of just goes, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Listen, I... I uh, uh... <laughs> The, you know, like Anne like, Hathaway as Catwoman, I will forgive a lot of things. Right. But I cannot, I cannot forgive that cannot film abide. even with I, her. I just, helping. I also like that it's, it's, it's kind of committed to the idea of Batman in relation to the city and Batman's relation. You know, like is it, it is. It's committed to the. There's silly things. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Trapping the entire police force for six months underground is, is ridiculous. Um, so you, that's pulled. That whole thing. The whole thing is pulled from. Um, oh gosh, what is it fucking called? It's a very long running comic book series that I have all of them. Uh, for I think um, it's it's earthquake or, or earth yeah. shatter point. I don't know. It's yeah. basically when an earthquake hits Gotham and it it becomes a disaster zone that FEMA basically knocks away from the United States to save no. money. <laughs> and all of the villains and the GCPD like all carve up little fiefdoms. Right, right, right. Um, it's a great series. So that's right. where they're kind of borrowing from. But like <laughs> having Bane do that and then like like the thing with the police thing living under six months. It's like, yeah, you had that in an earlier script, and you never changed it. Like when you, when you <laughs> we never thought through things. And and what I, again, we're moving away from here. But what I like about it is the movie barrels through with a kind of propulsiveness that you just sort of like. You have to sometimes stop to catch up to like how ridiculous it is. And I admire the kind of propulsive like. 
just ignore this. Let's keep moving. <laughs> it's know? so strange you say that because most of the time you fucking hate that shit. <laughs> it's there's this operatic quality to the way that Nolan orchestrates the third act of that movie that actually kind of works for me. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know what isn't ridiculous? Batman Mask of the Phantasm. It's a great fucking movie. If you haven't seen it and you like Batman, holy shit, go fucking watch it. It also, is a delight. Also, we want to point out that, uh, you know, and I haven't had Kevin Conroy pass away. I think it was, uh, it shouldn't have been, but it was a surprise to most people that he was gay. He'd written about it extensively on DC Pride. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like, I think it was this beautiful thing, which was that um, for a lot of, you know, it's... Batman as a character, even in the way it treats female characters in this particular film, is coded in a heteronormative way. Yeah. And to acknowledge and understand that that was not the case with the, the actor who became so quintessentially ingrained in who he was performing, um, that that was not the case, was kind of a beautiful thing. And I think that um, he wrote this beautiful um, piece about uh, finding Batman uh, in uh, for DC Pride mm-hmm. just before he passed away. Um so you know, just acknowledging that yeah. as part as, as as an ingrained part of uh, you know acknowledging who Kevin Conroy was and this voice was, yeah, yeah, no, um, uh, thousand percent agreed. And again, it's super sad that he is gone. Um, yeah, I. It's weird. I haven't even. I will see. And I know other. I know other people have voiced animated versions of Batman. Yeah, but like. What's unfortunate and great about it at the same time is kind of like Mel Blanc when, you know, when Mel Blanc passed away with Bugs Bunny, you know, like, it's just that he set the tone so definitively in the same way that Mark Hamill has for uh, the Joker Mm -hmm. that you're really going to need a complete reinvention that defines it. You know, for an entire new generation, much in the way that I think Heath Ledger did mm-hmm. for uh, for the live action Joker, and I think Jack Nicholson did when he when he performed it as well, away from Cesar Romero. Yeah. Um. So I hope there's kind of, like for me, I hope there's like a little bit of space given now where we just kind of don't see Batman movies for a while, and then someone could come along and reinvent it entirely reinvent that voice entirely that's i I do like that about patterson's performance in in the batman you know like i like that it was like we are doing something different here with it and trying to reinvent it for our own i just like that he did forensics forensics in this one or in uh well no i meant in in the batman in the Uh, i just liked that he was being (laughs) i thought batman was a real dick to um who's the councilman who had been drugged (laughs) oh yeah well he doesn't yeah you don't understand what's happening here, too. He's just yeah. like yelling at this dude who's like being <laughs> drugged and can't talk properly. <laughs> oh, sometimes Batman makes mistakes, but yeah. but you know what? The animated series never lose. So great. So great. Never lose. Anyway, yeah. this has been the only podcast about the film Batman Mask of the Phantasm. <laughs> Shahir, when you are not spending your billions oh my God. not being a playboy but uh <laughs> making a uh new zealand shaped jet where can folks find you a new zealand shaped jet would be the least aerodynamically performing <laughs> much like our national bird the fl- our national bird which is flightless the kiwi ah. uh, you can find me hiding in the forest uh foraging with my long beak at www.shahirdaud.com that's s h a h i r d a u d.com Matt, when you are selecting your favorite bird uh, to to represent you, where can people find you flying? You can find me. Uh, I believe Jamie and I's superhero duo name is actually um, uh, Starling and the Grackle. So I'm Star- the Grackle. You're the Grackle. Uh, <laughs> over at my website, mattheewcarroll.com, my life and works. You can actually find, uh, I don't even know the name of this podcast anymore, but my buddy Court Dunn did a superhero podcast where it was all these different superheroes and have his friends come in and like act superheroes they made up in this world. And he like robe and did a narrative jamie and i are uh starling and the grackle in this series and it's the dumb we're like social influencer superheroes we're like we're only going places for photo ops to like do (laughs) it's ridiculous anyway also uh my other socials uh uh skeletor the number four prez on instagram or uh psn and of course emperor msk on twitter until it burns down i've been trying some of the other apps Oh, you're on I Hive Mastodon or whatever it's called? Mastodon, Mastodon. I, I'm not into. Hive is run by two people and cannot harry, carry the load, so I haven't even been able to sign up. <laughs> uh, uh, I did just do, just because it's fun with the Nebula folks, a B-reel. 
Okay, yeah. And which is just silly, yeah. uh, which is fun and maybe can put some fun. I, and then I was like, why do I even need a new social media thing? Yeah, that was, that, that's my big thing. I was like, if Twitter dies, then that's okay with me. I don't know. Maybe there is there is relevance to it. I want to just before we go talk about two things um, because I, I actually injured my back this week and I was kind of just – Like whole, Batman. You like Batman. Yeah, Bane got to me. Except yeah. Bane was my kid. I'm oh. <laughs> just leaving toys all over the ground. Maybe like, you shouldn't have named your kid Bane. <laughs> yeah, and he was just laughing maniacally as I picked up and picked up a toy and, and threw my back out. Um, but I but I had to kind of like spend some time in bed and I was like, I'm going to catch up and watch some things. Um, before – uh, so, so we said we promised at the start that I, uh, I did listen to your episode uh, with Princess Weeks on Wakanda Forever, mm-hmm. uh, which I really, really enjoyed. And I actually saw Wakanda Forever before uh, that episode. I just couldn't make it for the for the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, like it, it's it's so uncharacteristically me. I really dug Wakanda Forever. I really, really good liked thing it. you weren't on the podcast <laughs> yeah. for it. I know. I really liked it. I actually thought um, it worked in so many ways. That I was not expecting it to work, and um, well, I, Phase Four didn't really set us up for no, that not work. at all. I was like, I'm not sure where this. What, what I liked about it is it didn't feel connected to anything other Except than for the, the, the C-list. occasional, yeah, the C-list. yeah, and 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 then at the end it kind of did like introduce something. I was like, what? You just can't let it go, can you? You just can't mm-hmm. like you just can't leave good enough alone. But I really dug it. I think Namor was an excellent. Um, excellently realized villain uh villain so i really like that and then the other thing i watched when i was holed up in bed on my own is the most shahir kind of show uh which was uh i know this much is true which was directed by derek sian france uh on uh hbo max uh it is a miserable show misery it is its currency (laughs) is misery um it is uh but but it's incredible uh mark ruffalo Catherine Hahn, you know, mm. you kind of watch it, and and I, I, I don't intend this to be a dig at Marvel or anything like that, but you kind of watch it and go, wow, the, like when I watch Mark Ruffalo in that show, I go, oh yeah, the that that dude from You Can Count on Me is an incredible actor, like, like so much range, so controlled, and so compelling to watch, and him in uh, I Know This Much Is True, is miraculous like i was like i you know like when i saw him and you can count on me i was like man that guy's got this young brando thing going on and then when i watched him this i was like holy shit and if the real the full realization of where brando could have ended up that's him here you know like the the show is about two twin brothers one who is a paranoid schizophrenic and the other who has to look after him in the wake of their of their mother's death mm-hmm. um and and ruffalo plays both he pl- he he lost 30 pounds to play the the central character and then did and, and then there's scenes where they're interacting together then he then they stopped filming for i think six weeks he gained 30 pounds and then came back and played the other side uh of the whole <laughs> thing and it's amazing because because the film is uh, the show is so much about what are the gaps between these two people that make them one whole Hmm. and i i can't but it's really sad it misery is its currency like like it is just misery upon misery but what i love about it is it's also about beauty and like what is what can be beautiful in amongst all that misery and what makes us unique? What, what makes our beliefs true? And, the, and, and the, what the title ends up being about is probably one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I think I've heard in a long time. And again, Ruffalo in this performance is just like, I, you, you sort of go, we, we, need to, um, we need to not waste this man's time. You know what I mean? In terms of like, he needs to be working every day on things like this because he is incredible. That sounds tiring. Oh my! It, it, it like, but I couldn't stop watching it, and it is—it's amazing. Well, you also physically couldn't get out of bed. So. But I, I, <laughs> I, I was enraptured by it. It, it came and went in 2020. You know, like it just—it kind of came onto HBO. He did win a. I think lots he won of an, things did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, I think he won an Emmy for it. Um, but it's well, there you go. Yeah, one of the best performances I've seen in a long time. It's so good. Yeah. So if you two have thrown out your back or want to deal in misery as a currency that is also beautiful and you didn't want to see something with Batman, there's your show. Uh, everybody, next week we will be back with something. Maybe the Fablements? 
Maybe, Maybe and depending on my test results. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot coming out right now. It's a good it's a good time of year to go to the movies and yeah, also well, to try and avoid get, COVID. I because... gotta get back to the movies. Yeah. I'm wondering it, if I got this at the movie. Oh, did you get this at Wakanda Forever? Maybe. I don't oh. know. Oh, I wore wow. a mask, but that, yeah. that doesn't always, you know, not 100%. Yeah, uh, anyway, right. hey, everyone, have a lovely rest of your week. Uh, please enjoy bringing whatever vengeance you bring into the world. And uh, we'll talk at your ear holes next time. Happy Thanksgiving? Happy post-Thanksgiving. Post-Thanksgiving? Uh, post uh what we is the... are the dessert on your Thanksgiving weekend. We are your remade uh, turkey sandwiches. We are your leftovers. <laughs> yeah, we are the last time. We're the last time your leftovers <laughs> taste good. You still have three days worth in the fridge, and you will eat them. Yeah, but but this we, is the day you're like, yeah, you know what? We're flavor sealed. Until then, stay hungry, my friends. <laughs> Vengeance is yours. Yeah.